lot to be thankful for, a lot to be excited about. And uh, I'm equally excited about this sermon today. So we have been in the midst of a series called The Summer on the Mount. And we've been looking at Jesus's Sermon on the Mount that begins in Matthew chapter five. And it begins in a pretty interesting place, begins with what we know as the Beatitudes. And the very first one says this, blessed or happy. Anybody want to be happy today? Get a show of hands. Anybody? Okay, four of you would like to be happy. That's great. Maybe online, you'd rather be happy. <laughs> Kidding. They all, they went up late. But God says, blessed or happy are what? The very first one says, the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And it's really that that is the gateway. It's the window into which you move into all of the rest. And I don't want to recap everything we've done. You can go back online and watch those. But the path to peace that we've been talking about, this different kind of kingdom that Jesus is calling you to begins there with the poor in spirit. There's no room for two masters, if you will. There's no room for you to lead your life and for God to lead your life. Now that'll preach, but it's much more difficult to live, is it not? It is. And so we've been looking at that because Jesus says things like you have to have greater righteousness than the Pharisees. Not happening. He says things like be perfect because your father in heaven is perfect. And those words of law reveal to us who we really are because we don't measure up to that standard, do we? This is when you shake your head. No, (laughs) we don't. And we can't apart from Christ. And so that's the beauty of this picture we've been looking at, that God is more concerned with your internal peace than he is with your external appearance. Amen? We believe that. And so there's been, there was three examples as we moved into chapter six about what that looks like. Three really practical areas. Your giving, your generosity, your prayer life, And then last week we looked at fasting or spiritual disciplines. If you missed any of those, I encourage you to go back and catch those. Because they reveal to us some things about ourselves, And they help us understand that apart from Christ, we can't do those things. And so, so we need him in that spot. We need the gospel. We need good news. And so we've been learning about that. And we've been learning that we love only because he first loved us. Paul, St. Paul, the apostle, probably the greatest apostle, missionary or church planter, all church jobs. If you're watching online, don't know what those are. They're just church jobs. But he articulated the gospel in this way in Ephesians chapter two, and they are kind of like fence posts for us, guardrails on this kingdom journey. And here's what he says. For by grace, you're saved through faith. It's nothing to do with you. Or me or our effort. You can't earn these things. It says it's a gift of God. It's not from yourselves. It's from not from works so that no one can boast. For we are his. Listen to this. I love the way this translation says this. For we are his 
creative work. Having been created in Christ Jesus for good works. We were his good work so that we might go and do his good work. Are you tracking with me? That's important because if you get that out of alignment, if you begin to want to do good work before you understand that you are his good work, if you don't know whose you are, you'll never know what you're supposed to do. We use the word purpose. What's the purpose of my life? Why am I here? And we want to say that God has a very specific plan for your life. And he's laid it out in his word. And so we're made right with God and renewed or reborn or awakened to this life of doing what we were made for. And we call it shalom, complete, to be whole. And so that's where we find ourselves as we come to our scripture at the end of towards the end of chapter six in Matthew chapter six, verse 19. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to meet me there. If you have the Version Bible app, you can go to the events and find Redeemer City Church. That way you can just scan the barcode back there if you're in the room or if you're online, you can just click the links. But I encourage you to follow along. I want to walk you through three critical principles for the heart of the poor in spirit. Okay, three critical principles for you to live as one who is poor in spirit. So here's what the Bible says in Matthew chapter six, verse 19. Do not lift up your voice and say, do not do not accumulate for yourselves treasures on earth. Where moth and devouring insect destroy where thieves break in and steal, but accumulate. Now lift up your voice and say, accumulate. So we weren't going to do that. We are going to do this. But accumulate for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and devouring insect do not destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. And here it is. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. He goes on, the eye of the lamp is the, the eye is the lamp of the body. If then your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is diseased, your whole body will be full of darkness. Now listen to this. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Because of this reason, verse 24, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot, say it with me, cannot, cannot serve God and your money. Nobody ran for the exit. That's good. Because that's hard. For the vast majority of us that are living in the 21st century United States of America, I realize that's not everybody's reality. 
certainly not sitting in this room and probably watching online. That's not everybody's reality. But for the vast majority of human beings, that statement that Jesus made 2000 years ago to a group of people sitting on a hillside, listening and marveling at the way that he taught because he taught with authority, same as his word here would have had the same struggle that you and I have when we read your, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is, because where you spend your money is where we can find your heart. Ouch. We collective feeling of guilt right now. <laughs> right? Where your treasure is, where your wallet is, it's where we'll find your heart, because none of us, None of us can serve two masters. We can't. We weren't created for that, remember? Remember what Paul tells us in Ephesians 2? That we were God's creative work so that we might do the good work that he created us for. So we were made to serve God, to love God, to bring good news and serve our city. That's what we were made for. But if we're honest with each other, if I'm honest with you as your pastor, the access we have to our money gets things all convoluted, doesn't it? It really does. It really does. And so I want to break that down for you this morning with three critical principles. Number one, if you're taking notes, is this treasure reveals the heart. Treasure Reveals the heart. Listen to me. Materialism, having things, having money may be God's greatest rival (laughs) competing for the allegiance of human hearts. Maybe God's greatest rival, not the least, because so many of us, myself included, are constantly striving to secure our own life. Aren't we? If we can make a plan, achieve the plan, there isn't room for us to need who? God. And we learn that in moments like this where control is ripped away from us. Because obviously no amount of money is going to solve all the problems that are in front of us as a society right now. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can do that. And so as we try to secure our own life, what we're going to look at next week is that that pursuit that we put ourselves in and that we become a slave to is what brings the anxiety in our life. And so next week we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about anxiety. We're going to talk a little bit about mental health and we'll only scratch the surface there, but it'd be a great week for you to turn to tune in. But the reality here is in that first section in 19 to 21 accumulation matters. What we are accumulating matters. Because the things we accumulate for ourselves are fleeting and temporary and the value they bring is only for a moment. It's why we get so desensitized to the things that we have. Right? I have 3 kids and I won't use all kid illustrations or not all of you have kids, but I have 3 kids. Every time we go somewhere, what do they want? Something new. 
I mean, every single place. <laughs> and sometimes my four-year-old little girl will look me in the eye and I just can't say no. Can I get an amen from the dads who have a daughter in the room? Yes. <laughs> sometimes you just can't say no. She knows how to do it already. She's four. She can bat those eyes and turn that head. And then she'll move in, nuzzle me. I'm done. If mom's not there, I'm done. To get whatever she wants. <laughs> but what happens if I buy that thing? What happens in three days? Come on, parents. We forget about it. We don't, they don't. Hey, where's that thing I bought you? Huh? What thing? I want that thing, right? It's the human experience. I'm the same way. There was a long period of my life, my wife will tell you, where I needed to switch cars like every two years. And finally, my wife was like, look at the budget. We are losing money every two years. Now, you're right. <laughs> because our, it's the human experience, right? And those are silly examples, but you know what I'm talking about. Whatever that next thing is that we think will fulfill that void inside that, that needs to be stoked and happy and satisfied. We're all guilty of that. But on the flip side, those things that we accumulate in heaven matter as well, don't they? And have great power because they bring eternal and lasting value. But we struggle to process this. And yet internally, we know that this is the place we were made for. We know that. You know, as I was watching that apartment life video, I couldn't help but remember it was just a few months ago that somebody came from the Pearl and was baptized here as a result of that apartment life ministry. Like those are the things that matter. Those are the things that last. Those are the things that we want to be a part of because <laughs> the end of that Section says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. We can follow the money trail, can't we? We're going to look here in just a second about two different kinds of spirits. The spirit of generosity or literally what scripture lays out as the spirit of stingy. Some of you are chuckling. You know it. See, because most of the time we get on the people who are just freewheeling spenders, right? <laughs> There's a whole different kind of idolatry in us being stingy, isn't there? There is. We remember the, we remember the text where Jesus talks about the talents and he gives them to different people and the ones that go out and invest that. And even if they fail, the father, the master comes back and says, great job. But then he looks at the guy who brings the same amount back, who says, I buried it so I wouldn't lose it. He says, get away from me, you wicked servant. And we're like, what? But I saved it. <laughs> Why is that? Because number two, if you're taking notes, light illuminates the heart. You see, your treasure might reveal where you're at. 
But then we need the light to come in and illuminate what's really going on. If we are healthy or if we are unhealthy. The eyes are an amazing thing. Why did Jesus choose to use the eye as a illustration here? The eye has like something close to 130 million photoreceptors that allow you to see and experience the things that are in front of you. Six million of those around process color and give you clarity. But listen to this. Uh, somewhere around 120 million of those photoreceptors help you with darkness and light. And how many of you know, if you get that out of balance, it doesn't matter what, how good your colors and clarity are. If it's dark, it's dark. If it's light, I've got a chance. So what Jesus is saying here is the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye's healthy, everything else has a chance. If I can't see anything, no matter how healthy my toes are, I don't know where I'm going. Right? So we understand that it affects everything else. And so our vision affects that, how well you see. So Jesus is saying, like the eye, our treasure illuminates our heart. Because look at this if the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? If what you feed yourself day in and day out is darkness, all we have to do, Jesus says, is turn and look where you have your treasure and we'll know where your heart is. But that's the diagnostic that Jesus offers you. Light and dark. Because he gives us that warning. He says, if the light in your heart is darkness, how great is that darkness? I don't know where you're at today. Maybe today you're watching online or you're sitting here and you've put on some kind of show, but you are not a follower of Jesus. You've never surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit has not come in and illuminated your heart. It's darkness that fills your heart. How great is that darkness? You will never experience the peace that God offers unless light comes in and drives out the dark. Even if you are a follower of Christ, the Bible is very clear. It says men love darkness rather than light. And even though you become a Christian, the Bible is very clear that you are in this spiritual war. And it's happening constantly around you right now. Right now. And you know that. Because what's been true in a pandemic, isolation leads to problems, doesn't it? You leave me alone long enough. And whatever you struggle with, the devil will find it. He'll find it. And he'll use it. But Jesus says where your treasure is, it's where your heart is. And for that to be right, Light has to come in. And so as you think about where we've been up to this point in the Sermon on the Mount, this next section, 24, verse 24, 
is really the summation of the Sermon on the Mount to this point. All of those things that have been said really boil down to this as Jesus is preaching to us. Look what he says again in verse 24. No one. We are all going to try this at different times in our life. Maybe you're trying it right now. Maybe you're trying to work all the angles so that you can have both. And Jesus just wants to lay very clearly in front of all of us. No one can serve two masters. Why? Because at the end of that statement, he says this. You cannot, and this is number three if you're taking notes, you cannot serve God and money. You can't. You cannot serve both God and money. But let me, let me drill into that for just a second. What does it not say? Right? We're seeing what it says, but we have to recognize what it does not say. It does not say you cannot have Money, does it? Say no. It doesn't say you can't have money. Some of the guys who wrote New Testament books had a lot of money. Paul would attribute other books to guys like Theophilus, who it's believed funded a lot of the ministry. Paul would go and thank a lady named Lydia, a seller of purple, an expensive item for all that she was doing to provide for the ministry. So it's obvious that God's not saying, Jesus is not saying you can't have money, you can't use money. That's not what it says, but what does it say? It says you cannot what? Say it serve money and God. You cannot serve both. You need to, there's two things here that need to serve one thing. You, me, and our wallet need to serve who? God. You see, and that word feels like law to you and I, doesn't it? Man, don't tell me what to do with my money. That feels like law, but what do every one of us who have followed Jesus Christ know is true? If I do it God's way, there's freedom in that, isn't there? Money is one of the greatest areas of slavery that we will find ourselves in. And Jesus is laying out a totally different ethic in the kingdom. Proverbs is still in the Bible, by the way. And you should practice good stewardship. You should not blow all your money. You should have a budget. Can I get an amen? Some of you are like, I'm not amen in that. <laughs> not amen in that, pastor. You have your own budget. I do, because I'm married to Camden Coon. We have a budget. Amen. Proverbs is still there. We should still... Apply the principles we find in the word of God about our money. Which is budgeting. Otherwise, we're going to serve our money, aren't we? What does Dave Ramsey say? Spend your money on paper first so that your money's working for you, that you're not working for your money. It's important. 
It's good stewardship. And it sets us up to serve God because we're not just free willy nilly with our stuff. But here's the bottom line. Money is a tool. Money's a tool. It's a tool for you to take care of your family. It's a tool for you to take care of your neighbors. It's a tool for you to take care of your uh, church. It's a tool for you to take care of all the things. But it is that. It's just a tool. Here's a question for you. Can you live without all that you have if God took it away? If God, like Job, there's a whole book of the Bible about this. Job was, had, was one of the richest men in the land. And God took it all away. And what is Job's response? The Lord gives. The Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I don't know what I would do in that moment. Can I just be honest with you? God's not done that to me. God has done some of that to you sitting in this room. I know that. And some of you sitting here right now have looked me in the eye and said that same thing to me. And I respect that. We have several of our houseless friends, our our homeless community, that have looked me in the eye and said that. But it really boils down to that question. Where is your love? Where is your heart? What is the, it says here that you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. And the best diagnostic tool is to follow the money. Right? Where's your devotion? What, what is the light? What does it say? In you. Not your neighbor, not the guy next to you, not the woman next to you. You. I'm going to have Kevin come up and we're going to sing an old song, the chorus of a hymn called Be Thou My Vision. And I just I just want for every single person within the sound of my voice, whether you're watching online or whether you're sitting in the room or whether you're going to watch this or listen to this later. I just want every single one of us to ask ourselves that question. What is the light in me? And ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate that, to reveal that part of your heart, that corner of your soul. And if he wants you to deal with something, deal with it, deal with it. We're going to sing those words, be thou my vision. We talk all the time here that Jesus is the vision. He is. You got to drive your vision up to Jesus. The scripture says that Jesus is both the author and the perfecter of your faith. And so as Kevin begins to play and leads us in that song... I want to ask you to ask yourself, what is the light in me? Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me, save that. 
Declare that riches we heed not, but we are all aware that we need you, Holy Spirit, to get out in front and lead us to a better vision for our heart, for our life, for our money, for our treasure. And so, Holy Spirit, I just pray that in this moment, you would massage the gospel into our heart, into our soul, into our bones. That we might trust you more, that we might believe you more. Would your word go into those places that are still in darkness, where the light in us is dark? And would you just illuminate that and reveal those things and help us to repent? To turn and go a different direction. And according to your word, it starts with our money. It starts with the firm grip that we have on our finances. Help us to be generous people. Help us to be healthy people. We love you. Thankful for Jesus. I pray for anyone who does not know you, Jesus, that you would move in, that you would draw near. Your word says if we seek you, we will find you. So I pray for every person that will hear this, that they would seek you, that Holy Spirit, you would help them to find you. 
and the good news that you have done for them what they have been searching for. By dying on the cross for their sin, paying that penalty and rising again three days later, giving us victory and life. So we thank you and we praise you. And in your precious name, we say and all of God's people said, amen. Amen.